We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, continuing our exploration of Surah Al-Baqarah, causes and manifestations of rejection. First and foremost, uh, I sent an email, but I don't know if it went through for everyone who signed up for Ahmad Afzal's class. Did anyone receive anything from me in the past hour or so? No? No? Okay. Then I will retry to send it. Basically, for those who are signing up for Ahmad Afzal's class, it's going to be starting this Saturday at 11 a.m. Chicago time. And uh, 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 Ahmad is requesting that everyone fills out this very, very simple chart name education what are you hoping for the course i will i will retry to send that a little bit later on today inshallah i don't know why i didn't go through the first time i might have to send it from a different email address so i think a total of about about 10 people sent me an email saying that they were interested in 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 the class so the class will start inshallah this uh saturday and if someone remembers remind me at the end of class just to repeat any of this for those people who are still uh, logging in. Okay. Okay. In any case, uh, uh, let's continue with uh, our 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 exploration of the surah, and and so we we looked at we had this discussion about. This, uh, 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 or in the subsection, we said that we are in wrong things people do re relating to uh, matters of the unseen. And one of the key points we made was that what am I obliged to accept just whatever is the default or whatever is the simplest, simple of what is stated about the unseen, that there are angels, that there are such and such angels and such. When I start getting into an interpretation of details about it, that is not an element of belief. That is scholarly speculation. It's theological speculation. But the fact of angels and the fact of Jibril and Mikhail, uh, I have to take as fact. But beyond that, you know, what is the personality of Jibril alayhi salam? You know, what does he look like? Can he be seen with, with human eyes? That's That gets into the realm of scholarly speculation. This is what... All entire theological treatises are, are written about. But the core is that I accept it all. I accept the words of the Quran as truth. So I also raised the question of what is the nature or process of revelation. When we're speaking from the Prophet, peace be upon him, to the Sahaba, nothing is changing there. But how is he receiving things? I'm suggesting for us to widen our, our understanding of the specifics of how he's receiving it. But even that, is somewhat uh, a scholarly speculation right from from the the start. And so what we saw in the children of Israel is that they took they took Jibril alayhi salam as as an enemy and in favor took Mikhail as this defender of of the community. And so a consequence of that is that if you're rejecting one you're rejecting the whole thing. So here we also spoke about, about how Hanafi law works, that Hanafi law includes Hanafi theology, that not only do I have to do things that are fard, I have to recognize that they are fard. 
if I reject the fact that they are fard, if I don't recognize that they're fard, then that is an apida matter. It's as though it knocks me out of the tradition. It knocks me out of, of the belief in the Hanafi school, not so much in the other three schools. So if you are rejecting one, it is as though you're rejecting it all. Good. And that is tantamount to kufr. This is uh, another point, another important point to think about. Uh, if if we ever get into Surat Ali Imran, we have a common notion in our community that Islamic law is strict, but Islamic spirituality is very very flexible. It's actually more often the other way around. More often, Islamic law is very flexible. Islamic spirituality, starting from the realm of what you believe, that is very very often inflexible. Meaning, these are the things you have to believe. There isn't, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Good. Whereas Islamic law, here's the things you have to do, <coughs> but there might be a scenario in which you're not able to do it, or if you're not able to do it, let's figure out how to get you closer to getting things done. So, <clears throat> so then who is going to openly reject them? And notice the words that I'm using. Okay, so we have certainly sent down to you these ayat, okay, which are clear proofs. Okay, وَلَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ ayat bayinat. All right, so two terms here. One is ayat, the other one is bayina. So ayat, as you know, is sign. Bayina is more clear proof. So not all signs are clear proofs of 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 belief. But what is overall the bayina, the clear proof of the tradition that's explained in, of all places, Surat al-Bayina. Okay, so so many of you have this memorized. Those of the kafirs among the people of the book, notice the language, the kafirs among the people of the book, and the mushriks, they're not going to stop what they're believing. Until you give them or until they are given clear proofs. And then what is the overall clear proof? It's the messenger from Allah reciting purified pages in which are, and Qutub depends on how we, how we translate this. Here it says corrected writings. Uh, established laws is a common way that this is translated. Good. So what were you saying? The whole package is the proof. And what is the package? The Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. That is itself the proof of Islam. Okay. Now, so this requires us to reframe how we look at proofs and such. So this this point we've touched on when we were even looking at uh, the prescription for doubt. So if you think back to Ayah 23, if you have doubt in what we have revealed to our servant, then bring a surah and bring witnesses other than Allah, right? That was that was the prescription. And the point from back then was that a lot of times when in our, in our contemporary culture, when we're looking for proof, we're saying, okay, you, your responsibility as Islam is to prove to me that you are truth okay that you are whatever it is you claim to be uh, and that's essentially an agnostic outlook okay the agnostic outlook is yeah i don't know what's true what's not and i also don't even know how to prove 
and find out what is true, what is not true. Good. But what is the approach the Quran was taking way back in Ayah 23? It's saying compare everything head to head, everything that's written head to head, and nothing's going to be able to holistically compare to the Quran. And I mean, you look in, like, for example, uh, we were in LA, and this is a couple years ago, me and my, my, my younger daughter, and and we happened to be walking by the one of the Scientology headquarters, and there's a bunch of teenagers passing out Scientology pamphlets. And so she grabbed one, and she started reading it, and, and she was saying that the first chapter of this thin pamphlet, which is probably about 30 pages, uh, the first chapter or two were profound, and this is her at, at age 16. Yeah. She might have been 15 at the time. First chapters are profound, but after that, it gets really dumb. And, and so the point to think about is very often many texts start out from a very, very profound premise, but then are not able to sustain it. So then back then, how do you evaluate the Quran against others head to head? Well, what is the depiction it's giving of reality? Which one do you buy? The most and then relate to that what is the content beyond its depiction of how reality operates and then beyond that what is the historical you know getting to historical criticism of the authenticity of the text and then also relate to that what about the implementation of of the text and such so you apply all these different things Good. now what is the quran saying of itself as its clear proof Good. it's saying it is the prophet in the quran a prophet from messenger from Allah and, and, and the Quran itself, yeah. which naturally opens to a whole bunch of questions, but I think it brings us back to the same point at the risk of being circular, saying take it head to head against everything else. Yeah. We often go straight to linguistic miracles, but I think only a few people have the capacity to evaluate linguistic miracles. That is beyond my capacity, my skill set to evaluate, you know, the linguistic profoundness of the Quran versus the linguistic qualities of Aristotle versus something else. That's that's beyond my, my skill set. And thus I suspect it's beyond the skill set of everyone else. But it's saying take the whole package. And if you truly compare it head to head, you know, it's sort of like comparing the sunlight to the light of a flashlight or light of a match or something like that. That does not negate that there's light in other traditions. This I like Ali Shariati's argument that I think we made before that these traditions would not be surviving for 2,000 years, 4,000 years, if there was not truth in them. Okay. That there is truth in Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, etc., etc., as illustrated by their ongoing relevance. Okay. But that does not speak of the whole package. Okay. okay, so having said that, back to Ayah 99, the only people who are going to reject it are going to be the 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 fossics. And and Dr. Mahana saw so you asked a question, I'll get to it inshallah at the end inshallah. Uh, that the fossics are going to be the only people who are going to reject it. And and a point to take from this is that we are connecting rejection of belief with conduct. Okay. Now this is not the same as someone who so we have someone who's embracing it, someone who's rejecting it, most everybody else is in between. They're not openly rejecting it. Okay. Here we're talking about people who are openly rejecting. And this is the point that the children of Israel reached from being most favored status to humiliated status 
and we're connecting it with lack of gratitude. We're connecting it with the uh, the ulama and the umara in their communities, reaching the point of fisk. Okay. Tragic flaw. So completing that point, it is is it not true okay, that every time they made a pact, a party of them just this just dumped it away, and then the language of the Quran gets very very fierce. Most of them don't believe. That's the point that they reached. And continuing this point further, so it's like it's being stated again and again. A messenger comes to them, confirming what is with them, and then a bunch of people among them throw it behind their backs, pretending that they didn't even know. Now remember, what is the overall conversation that's taking place? Allah Ta'ala is speaking to us in... Primarily, he is speaking to the Sahaba, the Prophet and the Sahaba, peace be upon him. This is Ayah 75. Do you have any hope that they're going to believe in you? This is what they're like. Now, and then, you know, I cautioned against applying this to, to Jews of all times and such, especially just because of the different Jewish communities and such. Um, but here is the conduct of, of many of these people. In Medina... And then how much this applies to beyond, that's, a, that's a, a, a debatable point. But the point is that there are some people who, at least when the Prophet was in Medina, they didn't care. Okay, now we get into some fun stuff here. So the people who had rejected, they started turning to, they were turning to other things. One point we already made was that in the, in the era of Musa alayhi salam and his successors in prophethood, the children of Israel reached this point where they were saying, we believe and, or we listen and we, we disobey. And we had that whole diagram about how if you take something as an ilah other than Allah, then you're going to create a whole theology. You're going to create its own system of morality. And so what's being stated about this generation of people, they are turning to some other knowledge and very similarly the same way. They followed what the devils had recited among the reign of Suleiman. Suleiman alayhi salam did not reject Suleiman. But the devils rejected teaching people magic. And what was revealed to the angels, Harut and Marut. So here's a question. What is black magic? How do you explain black magic? I mean, this is not David Copperfield or David Blaine, uh, that type of stuff, or maybe it is, but, uh, or Penn and Teller. You know, one of my favorite shows is Penn and Teller Get Fooled. I love watching that on YouTube, um, where some magicians come in and they try to fool Penn and Teller. I mean, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so, so what is black magic? Any thoughts? So yes, it is part of the unseen, something that, that we don't understand. Uh, I might have mentioned this in, in previous conversations with, with some of us, not in the context of this course. So a long time ago, I took a course on the history and philosophy of science, which is sort of, uh, I think, a little bit of what Adnan Rahman has some expertise on. But um, uh, uh, the teacher made this point that when we look at these texts, 
you know, that are categorized as alchemia, so alchemy. There are these things, there's these practices that in those texts, it, uh, they're called magic. And unlike general alchemy, you know, the precursor to chemistry, unlike alchemy, well, no, like alchemy, they say, all right, here's the ingredients you start with, here's the steps that you go through, and here is the visible result okay, that, other, that other people can see. And so that way, it's just like a science. It's just like alchemy. Okay, same era, but it, different from alchemy is that with our contemporary knowledge, we can say yes when you put these two, these two or three ingredients together and go through this process, whether it's of heating or cooling or what have you, you're going to get this result. We can explain it with contemporary science, but he's saying that these books of magic, we can't explain why this happens. But it's, it almost qualifies, it essentially qualifies, almost qualifies as a science in the sense that we have this pattern. Do this, do A plus B, you're going to get C. And every time you do A plus B this way, you're going to get C this way. And people can observe it. So he says we have to set aside some space for this thing that's called magic. That in modern science, we can't explain what it is. But... All of these, there's too many of these journals talking about this, speaking of this as a thing for us to just write it off as fantasy and mythology. Yeah. And so this is what a, a secular professor is saying, you know, in class, this is like 15 years ago. Now it's probably like 17, 18 years ago. Yeah. So, so yeah, what is black magic? Black magic is its own type of science involving things in the unseen. It's not necessarily the same dimension as gyms. It might be in a different dimension in the unseen that gyms are. So a lot of times we'll think of gyms and angels and everything as being in the same dimension of the unseen. They might all be in different dimensions. Good. And it may or may not overlap in some of the unseen-ish type things that we have detected, like electromagnetic and radioactive radio waves and all those things. Maybe it overlaps with that or not. But it seems to be a thing. Yeah. And the language in, in the Quran here, in this ayah, is that the knowledge seems to be coming from these angels, Harut and Marut. Okay. And they're saying, okay, we're a trial, okay? Do not do kufr by indulging in this. If you indulge in this, this is kufr, okay? And what is the end result or the core result of this type of practice? You're breaking apart families, okay? By way of splitting husbands and wives. And let's also reflect on, okay, what's, what's the logic there, okay? But also keep in mind that any harm that comes, Allah Ta'ala is allowing it. Right? This is one of our big principles in terms of fatalism, that if, if Allah wills for something to hit you, like of a struggle, nothing can stop it. Or if something of benefit is going to hit you, nothing can stop it. Likewise, if Allah Ta'ala wills for something to not hit you, nothing can make it happen. Right? I think we all understand this, understand that point. And so this is a knowledge of, of a dimension of the unseen that is destructive. But if destruction happens, Allah Ta'ala allowed it to happen. Okay. 
And what you are learning is something that is of no benefit. Yeah. The people are learning what harms them and does not benefit them. Yeah. And the children of Israel knew that if they engage in this, they are giving up their salvation. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, scary. Yeah. They knew that whoever purchased of magic, yeah, they have, they're giving up whatever they had of the Akhira. Okay. And they sold themselves off. Okay. So, so, so thoughts. What is the appeal of black magic? Max Weber, he, he, he uh, explores this question. Uh, what is the difference between engaging in magic and prayer? This will give us a sense of what the difference is. So related to Sami and Late's questions, you know, what exactly does magic do? What does prayer seek to do? How would you answer that question? Dua. What does it seek to do? And some of you I know are going to get into super complex answers. Uh, Dr. Kazu, you raise your hand. Essentially, prayer and uh, black magic are going in the same direction. Which is? Except uh, which is uh, you are trying to realize, get realization of something. Okay. Uh, the prayer so, is in the right channel. But, yeah, go ahead. The prayer okay. is in the right channel, right direction that you have, you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But at the same time, when you're praying, you also are uh, in, uh, engaging in an act of submission. And the submission is that you are all you you've resigned yourself to the fact that your prayer may or may not come to fruition, but it will not affect your uh, relationship with Allah Subhanahu mm -hmm. Black magic is uh, kind of like an easy fix that it has to get fixed. I don't care what has to be done, but uh, uh, you know the the uh, the the impulse and the and the and the feeling for realization is much more intense or real. Okay. So, so the first part of what you're saying is a commonality between black magic and prayer is you, you want something to happen. Okay. Which could be, you want something to not happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so prayer, you're doing it by way of submission. You're making a request. Okay. Black magic, you're doing it by way of coercion. You're forcing something to happen. Cool. And so this is this is uh, Max Weber. This is how he distinguishes between prayer and and magic. That prayer is is a request. And so in our lens, we would take it a step further. It's an expression of of lack of power. And returning to the source of power saying, you know, Ya Allah, can you please do this or please, you know, not do this? Can you make this happen or not make this happen? Okay. Whereas black magic is saying, okay, whatever, I'm going to make this happen my way. Good. And so, so, so the points that, 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 that you've all made are, 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 are correct aspects of these things. And so the key difference I'm suggesting is that prayer, you're, you're entering into the, you're accessing into the unseen, primarily Allah Ta'ala, saying, Ya Allah, I have no power, you have all the power, please make this happen. And black magic, you're going into the unseen, bypassing Allah Ta'ala, and trying to force your result to happen. 
So, so <clears throat> why is black magic so harmful? Simply because Allah said, don't do it. Now, the result here is that it's saying that it is destruction. And, and so then the question would be, if it is so bad, if the end result is destruction, why would angels be teaching it? And then on top of that, why would they be teaching it and even saying, don't practice this? What are possible reasons? So yeah, everything's a test. Okay, that's once again, that's an answer to just about every single Islam question. Think about this to, uh, back to our discussion about uh, about theology. You know, when I was raising all these 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 different points, and you know, Dr. Mahan was also raising some 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 questions about the possibilities of theological exploration. And part of the point was that some people need to study that stuff for the well-being of everyone else, which could be to provide answers to to you know the the questions and related to to what sharik is saying to also provide responses you know, when necessary somebody has to go into that realm that for most everyone else is actually dangerous now i also have to make a side point you know there's still this notion in our community that all right if you go into philosophy then you're going to lose your faith and everything no one says that about going to science and I suggest science is far more destructive than philosophy is. Philosophy gives you a whole bunch of ideas, but science you internalize because you believe it's all sound. You internalize this philosophy of negation. And, and, but that's a whole separate point. But I have a point. A... Yeah, go ahead. So when those some people will yeah. go into that direction, yeah. what is the, how we can quantify and pro perform like a check and balance to see that, that some people is on the right path and they can mm -hmm. provide the right direction to the majority. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be a community of people who are going into, into those directions, right? So let's say someone uh, produces a book of their understanding of things, then you'd have other people who come along and then critique it. Meaning, so in the history of our tradition, how does it play out? You have, you have Al-Bukhari who, who says, all right, these are authentic narrations. Okay. And then you have you have Muslim who says these are authentic narrations, but it doesn't end there. Then you have Darukhutni who then looks at uh, Bukhari and says, "Well, okay, you lift out these hadith, and those hadith should not be there." And then you have uh, Al Hakim who looks at Bukhari and Muslim and says, "Okay, using your methodologies, these other two thousand hadith should also be authentic." And so think of it as as the people, and then it's a community of people, either from that same generation or later people who come along and also critique. And so it won't, except for the prophet, peace be upon him, it won't ever be one person and then done. See what I'm saying? It's the, the, the ideas either get embraced or they get rejected, and both in the short term as well as the long term. But it, but it has to be like different geographical regions because that um, the impact of the social, cultural, behavior, it will impact, right? I mean, so so if the if someone is sitting in North America is making, saying I'm the one actually take care of that part as a front runner, 
but that cannot jive in or accept it by the rest of the world. So well, it depends on how specific it's getting, mm. you know. Um, so if if you go through uh, just even you know Al Ghazali's giant book, right, Ihya Ulum al Din, there's a lot of points he's making about the scholars of his time and the way you know the sciences, Islamic sciences, work in his time, which I think are completely irrelevant for our time. You know, uh, there's some principles we can get about how he's critiquing them, but he's speaking about a different generation. Uh, so when we get into the particulars of his book, a lot of that stuff uh, is for me irrelevant. Uh, uh, but then that literally knocks out maybe 20% of the whole book. Yeah. The other 80% seems to transcend time. Or Shah Waliola's big book, uh, most if not all of it seems relevant for today, but it's most of it takes place in the realm of abstract ideas anyway. Yeah. Uh, and we made the point about like the Aqidah of Imam Tahawi. There's a couple of bullet points of beliefs there that for us seem completely irrelevant. You know. Uh, Ahant. Hi, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Belated uh, Eid Mubarak to you. Eid Mubarak, um, everybody. Um, I, so, at least what I'm kind of getting from this is, you know, I think we've always been a process-oriented, you know, tradition and not exactly, you know, outcome-oriented. Is the whole, like, point of differentiating prayer and black magic or any kind of magic is to kind of, like, is it to shift our focus on the process in, in instead of the focus on the, 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 the outcome of the qadr of Allah? So I think I think that's a, that's a very important insight, mashallah. That uh, so we're sort of saying um, that the means justify the ends, as opposed to the ends justifying the means. But we don't ignore uh, either of them. And so, so what would be an essential reason why someone would turn to black magic? In simple language, probably impatience. You know. I want this to happen this way. That's the language of, of uh, impatience. You know, coercing, you know, things to happen a particular way. And usually, I mean, I can't think of people using black magic for, for positive reasons unless it's try to get the health of somebody, you know. Uh, but, because uh, uh, what is the next ayah then telling us? If they, if they had belief and taqwa, then the reward from Allah would have been theirs, if they only knew. And so explicitly what is being said here, all right, if you took the path of Iman and taqwa, which uh, then you would have been fine, you would have had the reward with Allah, not limited to your dunya goals. And then I think what is built into Iman and taqwa especially is sabr, is perseverance. Now, keep in mind, so if you have, you know, especially you, soon to be, inshallah, Dr. Ahant, if you have someone who's ill, you know, uh, I'm, we're not being prescribed to sit back and pray for their cure if there is a worldly cure available. 
And so back to the point, why essentially is black magic forbidden? Because Allah Ta'ala forbade it. Okay. That's the primary point. Okay. And then we're trying to make sense of, okay, well, what is it that's so bad about it? Meaning, I know of no passage that we would interpret to say that it is forbidden to go to a physician when someone is ill. It is forbidden to go to a therapist if, if a couple is having conflict. But, uh, but yeah, and so, so we're saying one of the wrong things that people do regarding with the unseen is this type of engagement with the unseen. And uh, I guess my follow-up question, uh, you know, like to that is, like, is there a certain chronological, like, order of when all these manifestations of rejections of belief happen? So first, of course, it starts with the, you know, like, uh, uh, like ingratitude. Um, like throughout this course, like we've been saying that, you know, like ingratitude is the root, like, uh, uh, like, uh, like cause of all these things. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain, like, so after the lack of like gratitude, like what happens like next, do all this kind of come out, you know, like at mm -hmm. once. So, so I guess like, what should we tackle kind of mm -hmm. first? Mm -hmm. So I'm suggesting ingratitude as a uh, cause of all this, if not the primary cause, I'm not settled myself at it as it being the primary cause of all of this. Um, but I do think it's near the top of the list. And, and so the simple formula of what we've seen so far is ingratitude, 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 then opens the door essentially for turning to an increased appetite, yeah, which is cl uh, opening the door for higher demands which then is opening the door for people to consider wrong fulfillment of those demands. Yeah. Which then is, and this is not necessarily in the span of a year, this could be in a person's lifetime or across a couple of generations as a collective evolution. And then at some process, people are turning to something else as an ilah, either because of the ingratitude or because of some other attraction. And as that starts taking place, and that's creating a completely different theology, different morality, different system of what is appropriate conduct, different priorities and such. And then, you know, and so, so don't think of this part as much as linear. Think of these as all different types of manifestations. So the language over and over again is that a party of them do such and such. A party of them are doing this and that. Oh. Okay. And then I see uh, Stephanie has, uh, has a really big question, which we'll get into in a moment. And, and Dr. Mon, I have to get to your question too. And so, actually, yeah, let's tap right here because I-104 is going to be changing the topic uh, a little bit. And... So let me look at these these other questions. Uh, let's see. So Stephanie Mears is going to let me start from the top. Um, uh, what are the implications of the complete proof that no longer being among us in the flesh as it, it was for those who were able to interact with the prophet peace be upon him? I think that raises a very, very important question. You know, is the clear proof as clear? I think it's definitely not as clear as it would have been in the time and presence of the prophet peace be upon him. Um, Nevertheless, he's still being rejected by people who 
who had no issue with the clarity of the of the of the proof and so so I think it makes the the convincing much more difficult in a post profit era and a post imperial era as well right that ultimately what do we have to offer as Islam that everybody else doesn't have I mean we have a whole set of wonderful ideals but how much of that is actually being implemented meaning can we say from an objective sense that the best of our people are noticeably better than the best of people of other communities I don't know if we can do that I mean I could be wrong maybe maybe the best among the Muslim community in terms of conduct and character and humility are leaps and bounds better than the best of Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism or such I think that's hard to evaluate and so so then uh, I think the only people for whom what is being described as clear proofs will work is someone who is literally going through you know all of these texts and comparing you know so I think there's very serious uh, consequences you know let me know if uh, if uh, that makes sense in terms of what you're thinking um, where are the some of the other questions scrolling down and so Stephanie Mears the, how does it relate to us today are we thinking of black magic as something general like evil eye or specifically people who study magic as we know it which is I would include uh, the witches in the same category category in my limited knowledge as black magic as a real thing uh, evil eye is also I'm regarding it as a real thing which might be in a different dimension than jinns different dimension than black magic for the simple reason that evil eye doesn't necessarily require any sort of recipe that I have some amount of ingratitude jealousy anger hostility and and that's affecting you know how I am looking at something and so take a step back what are we saying here that evil eye when you are looking at something you are in some capacity met, uh, occupying that space so I'm looking at the corner of this chair in some capacity I'm occupying the space of the chair with my eye and if I have a, a sufficient amount of anger you know, jealousy envy uh, I can coerce something to happen unintentionally or intentionally and so that's a realm that the evil eye is located in and so black magic is another realm in the unseen now when you know not unlike harry potter and such we are uh we're using actual steps the steps could involve backwards recitation of of the quran okay or other practices like that you know slaughtering animals animal parts and then going through xyz steps to make something happen and then jinns are another dimension of the unseen and then angels are another dimension in the unseen or the angels are the caretakers of all of these dimensions and so 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 basically uh i'm saying i'm speaking of it as something uh, 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 that is present 
in many of our immigrant cultures. And so by that, I'm not just talking about Daisies and Arabs, I'm talking about Romanians, Hungarians, you know, uh, I don't know why that's the first one that's come to mind, probably from sci-fi TV shows or something. But uh, I think that we do find this uh, across uh, many, many subcultures the same way we find evil eye across many subcultures. Sammy, I keep coming back to Arthur C. Clarke's quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Is black magic ever defined within Kronstadt and Israeliyat? And if not, can we see this as a general warning against technology, especially given that Mesopotamia, location of Babylon, is arguably one of the birthplaces of agriculture, the first technological revolution? Assuming that magic technology is a different degree and not kind of evidenced by alchemy evolving to chemistry, uh, I do believe that a whole lot of people would make the exact argument you're making, you know, that all of this stuff is, is bad, you know, electricity is bad, all these things. And so, so the question would become uh, uh, these, these, you know, the things that we are speaking of as science today, uh, can we argue satisfactorily with text that it is prohibited? I think that is hard to do. Yeah. Uh, does it involve haram in any aspects, things that we know are haram? It could, and the ingredients, you know, um, you know, uh, or it could be in the process, you know, whether we're talking about slave labor or something. Yeah. Uh, but what seems to be the case in black magic practices is that there are things, steps that would be identifiable as haram steps to take, like the drinking of blood. Yeah. Uh, but I do think a lot of people would make this exact analogy that, that, that you're making. Uh, what is the antidote or cure for black magic? That's an important question. So the, the biggest would be uh, the last two surahs of the Quran, regular recitation of those things as protection. And keep in mind, part of the nature of how black magic works is not unlike how shaitan works, which is to be relentless, keep firing at you. And so in the teachings of the Prophet, peace be upon him, a house in which Surah al-Baqarah is recited on a regular basis, uh, shaitan and such cannot get in. And I believe in the narrations, black magic also cannot affect. And, and so those are some of the simple ones. And there are other recitations of, of the Quran specifically as protections. But primarily, the last two surahs are stronger than, than all black magic, but they might require re uh, repeat uh, recitation. Uh, let's see. Is it a communal responsibility to be able to recognize the harm of black magic and such? I feel like for the layman, this could often devolve into paranoia. It is the responsibility of some people in the community to take this on. Yes. So this would be a fard kifaya type thing. It is not the responsibility of the lay person to know these things. Because, yeah, exactly as you said, this is knowledge that they, uh, the lay person is not going to be able to handle. Uh uh, I would even suggest a lot of the material that we've covered in this course, it is not for the lay person. Um, not just, you know, the, the, some of the, the, the philosophical, theological questions we've explored. Uh, a lot of the things we've covered are too much for the lay person. But uh, it is the responsibility of, of someone in community to to uh, be studied in these things and to show up when it is necessary. Are there still people who practice black magic? Very much so. 
Is this a problem for us in such a technology is technology technologically saturated society? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so the our technologically saturated society, I think, it makes it easy for us to be skeptical about black magic as a thing. You know, uh, in the same way that some people will be skeptical of jinns as a thing, you know, as a being and such. But no, this is this is. Uh, I'd even suggest that perhaps this stuff is increasing you know, in terms of people partaking of it. And I'm saying overt black magic, not stuff like, oh, new age science, that could be all that. You know, who knows, who knows uh, if there are other things that we might be partaking of that might actually be black magic. Maybe, maybe our communication with phones is gins just delivering the message, right? So we have no evidence for that type of stuff, right? But I'm suggesting that that black magic is alive and kicking in big force. Uh, I don't remember if I've talked about it in this class, but uh, uh, all these different types of, of, of realms of darkness. Uh, uh, when I raise these questions in class, there's a couple regions in Chicago where everyone seems, to, somebody in the class always seems to have a story about it, no matter what school I'm in. So one place is right off Devon Avenue. There's a street, Sealy. Those of you who are, who are from, from Chicagoland. And there's an apartment building on Sealy. And just about every class that uh, uh, I'm teaching where we get into some type of topic about gins and black magic, somebody who lived in Sealy in this apartment will have some bizarro story. So, and another is there's this grave in the northwest suburbs uh, in Cuba. Uh, it's called Cuba Road. Uh, and there's this ancient grave there. And uh, in just about every place, and I'm saying every school, including Muslims and non-Muslims, I'll ask, do you have any scary stories and stuff? And somebody will have a story about this grave on Cuba Road. And one fun example of this is that we, I was teaching an academic Quran class, and we got to this ayah, and I had a former student Skype in to tell of the bizarro things that were happening in his apartment, which happened to be the same apartment building. Yeah. And in this class, I don't know if any of you in this school, uh, Noor Abdul Fattah might know him. Um, but uh, so there's a student who is in the class. Yeah, Noor, I think you were in the class when we were discussing this. And who, uh, uh, who was already kind of infamous in the class for saying weird things like you're not allowed to go to paradise. Uh, yeah, uh, unless you are age 23 or older. Like he'd say random stuff. Yeah. And so, so this student, uh, his name is Faraz, he's telling the story of all these weird things that would happen in his apartment. You know, someone would recite Quran, and then all of the Islamic calligraphy would just suddenly fall down. Coincidence? Possible. Or they're all together, uh, everybody in the family's together, they'd go to their rooms for some reason to get something, they come back, maximum of 60 seconds later, and all the furniture is in the kitchen. Good. You know, or there's so many of these things happening that... Uh, that Faraz's mother would be on the phone or would be reciting Quran in the middle of the night, you know, trying to get these, you know, whatever evil forces to go away. And then her phone would ring and someone yells at her to stop. Okay. But it's not clearly someone, you know, who's in the apartment next door saying, be quiet. Right. All kinds of bizarre things. And so then there's this, uh, this student in the class who already the whole semester has been saying weird things based on the dean that he's been taught. And then he asks, what apartment were you in? And let's just say it was apartment 305. And so this kid, turns out he lives in the apartment next door. 
you know, or he might have lived in the same apartment, whatever it was. And Newer can literally confirm that she was she was uh, she was in the in the class. It was it was a lot more funny than scary, but yeah, it was the same apartment. Okay, yeah. So, so uh, how do I get in stop? Oh yeah, yeah. So so the point I'm making is that uh, this spans across cultures. The Cuba Road grave. I had Mexican students who were telling me about this. Had no connection with Islam, you know. And then Desi students, Arab students. And, and so wild coincidence, maybe, yeah. uh, uh-huh, you might know this dude. Yeah, go for it. I'll share a story. So, uh, Albuquerque in New Mexico, you remember you uh, were there? We, yes, yes, we yeah. <laughs> so, you know, every time I went to, I go to Albuquerque, I was always, I would always be hit with this extreme uh, feeling of melancholy and sadness and something that's really depressing. And, uh, and I couldn't uh, place this. So one time I had a, a Native American patient come to me and I asked him where he was from and, I, and he told me New Mexico. And I told him this, uh, this feeling that I would get in Albuquerque and his face suddenly goes very somber. And he looks at me and he asks me, doctor, you're not kidding, are you? So why would I kid with you? It's serious. So he said, you know, I'll tell you why. As Native Americans, Albuquerque is built on a place that the Native Americans would always avoid. They would go around it, but they would never go through it. And he said that when the Spaniards came, they knew that the Native Americans were avoiding this place. And that's where they built their settlement so that the Native Americans would not come into this. So he says, for us, it is bad medicine. Things happen there. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Yeah. And then you had, remember when uh, Anwar told us all kinds of bizarro stories of his experiences there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So anyone else want to share any bizarro stories? Previously, we had a discussion about miracles and stuff. Now we're talking about the dark side of things. Anyone want to share anything? Gin stories. <laughs> I should have done this during Ramadan, but oh well. Nobody. Nobody wants to share anything. Okay, Sadia, you know you have gin stories that you can share with us. That I'm certain. I do. I just didn't want to share. <laughs> so there's so many <laughs> from Pakistan. So, mm-hmm. what you you want to share one with us? Um, a friend of mine told me actually that uh, somebody she knew um, had some black magic done. Um, on uh, a family and um, when uh, so they would see like these imprints on the mirror so or sometimes they would not see themselves in the mirror something else in the mirror things will be misplaced from uh, you know like you said um, furniture in the kitchen so things will like the the closet will be empty they would there won't be any clothes, you know, all of a sudden in the, in the closet or, um, there will be some sand on the bed. 
<laughs> and scary things like uh, like all these uh, stains, blood-like stains on the clothes. You have washed them and you just put them on the line and you go and check there's all stains and stuff like that. And uh, so they had to hire somebody to do something to take that off. Um, and, uh, you know, they were unsuccessful. They were unsuccessful. They couldn't do it. And uh, that guy actually told the family that who was actually uh, trying to take it off, he said that it's impossible. It's going to be with you lifelong. So that was the scariest part. Huh? They didn't have tied or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, that was the scariest part because um, he said that uh, it's, it's black magic along with the gins and so they're inside the uh, they're actually possessed and it's going to be very hard to take them out of the body it can actually kill them Mm. kill the person it's going to be so dangerous can actually kill the person so that was the scary part and i wondered actually if that is true if 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 you know there's a limit to where you can actually fight it and that's uh yeah that's way beyond my knowledge so so yeah it's it's scary and so many others so (laughs) omar we have a we all know one story i don't know about black magic story in chicago but we know one person (laughs) who removed black magic in chicago yeah, we have a, a, a former-ish friend of ours who got so deep into so deep into the gins, and the argument he was using was that if I get people to participate in exorcisms, that'll get them to believe in gins, which will get them to believe in the unseen, which will help their iman grow. But in the course of years, it seemed as though his mental soundness correspondingly uh, also decreased. Yeah. And the, the fortunate or unfortunate party share the same name, first name, as a word. <laughs> <laughs> right, same first name. Okay. Yeah. From now, I can't tell you where he is at. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Musab, you're saying, fun fact, regard uh, people regard black magic as a religion. It is most commonly known as black shamanism. Historically speaking, Mongolians were notorious for practicing this. Majority of the population practiced yellow shamanism, which stemmed its roots from Buddhism, but a large portion of the population practiced black shamanism, i.e. black magic. Interesting. Did not know this. Any other thoughts or questions? Um, uh, Yeah, go for it, Sadia and the Dr. Kazi. Uh, thanks. So um, I don't know if you already discussed it. Um, my my Zoom was crashing uh, uh, constantly. So why would um, Allah Ta'ala have the angels teach it to people? So my, I mean, our understanding is that there is everything Allah has created, whether it is evil or, uh, you know, good, there is some benefit in some capacity. So what could be the benefit in black magic or was it just taught purely as a test? You can disregard it if you have already discussed it. Well, I mean, the short version is that yes, it's a test in the way everything is a test, but also that there's some knowledge that some people need to have for the protection of others. That'd be the the short answer. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, Dr. Kazi. Oh, I uh, just wanted to ask you to uh, refresh uh, the definitions that you had given, particular definition to Atida, Usuluddin, and uh, Kalam. Uh, and Kalam. So, I was trying to uh, uh, articulate it, and I think I made a hash of things. Uh, I mean, in, in a nutshell, uh, all of them are wrenching, uh, wrenching, are, are venturing into the knowledge of the unseen. And so Athida is basically creed. And we're saying those things that are in the unseen that I have to take as truth, those things that are in the unseen that I have to take as concrete. Of course, it includes things in the seen realm, but even the seen realm is implying the unseen. So I take the Quran as the word of God. God is the unseen. And then Usuluddin is, is, is the philosophy looking at the philosophical underpinnings of the whole tradition, trying to make sense of how does it all work. And so it's, it's attempting to answer every single type of question. So the question that Dr. Mahan raised is what if like angels are states? So this would be in the realm of Usul al-Din trying to figure out how to, you know, make sense. Is that true? Is it possible? If not, why? Okay, so you're always starting with text and they're usually venturing from text through uh, academic argument. And then Kalam is more often, even though Kalam is often a generic term for Islamic theology, uh, it more particular is what we call dialectical theology, which would be our answers to other people's questions. So evolution is not a question of Muslims, but it's become a question for Muslims. And so essentially, Usuluddin would be our answers to our questions, and Kalam would be our answers to their questions, correct? In a, in a very, very simple sense, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I, I didn't make a hash of that bad hash of a thing. And so, so Usuluddin is, is, is also trying to fit it all together. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? I have a comment. So the story that I told, uh, the funny thing is that the person that was hired to remove the magic was a Christian. And oh. I'm not sure if any of you have heard that in Pakistan, a lot of these people who remove, who are known for uh, removing uh, black magic, they are Christians. So I'm just curious, like, why would that be? Yeah. And um, there are stories that I have heard um, that they are successfully able to remove that too. Like, for mm -hmm. example, there was uh, one time when um, I was told that this girl would always be sick, so sick that she would just gonna almost die and then they uh, contacted this guy who was supposed to be who is a Christian and he figures out a way where uh, he finds out that there is a doll that had all these needles in there in that doll <laughs> and so once those once that doll was found out and then was found and the needles were removed the girl started to feel better and she she is still alive and she's still you know fine so it's it was very interesting and i was curious like why would all these muslims still go to the christians i mean what what is 
that we don't know as Muslims, that Christians know about this whole thing. Pakistan is which part of Pakistan are you from? Karachi. Huh, that's interesting because in Karachi, all the black black magic practitioners that I knew of were Hindus. That's that too. That too. So it's any but any anyone other than Muslim, which is very interesting. All right, you got me on this one. Uh, Lace, you raised your hand. Uh, yeah, so this is just more of a clarification. Um, but what I mean, and you might you may have uh, mentioned this, but I feel like um, Muslims maybe as a whole struggle with that concept of um, kind of you mentioned like it's your responsibility to prove this is the truth to me. Um, and so like, what does the shift look like uh, from that outlook to um, to the Quran's challenge, basically, of oh. kind of taking ownership of, uh, nice. of of judging truth, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, so a lot of times the sentiment is, is prove your truth to me, you know, to the point that it's convin uh, convincing to me. Whereas the Quran is saying, all right, you got to go search and and find the truth, and you got to search through everything. And as you get deeper and deeper, that the distance between the Quran and the other sources will get, or the Quran and the Prophet and the, uh, and the other sources will get greater and greater. And then once you've crossed that leg, then to develop certainty, once you're now in the bubble of Islam, to develop certainty, then you increase acts of worship. That seems to be the formula. Anyone else want to chime in? I think Adnan's no longer here, so I would ask him. But, but that's 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 uh, so it's basically the Quran saying, "All right, you got to do it on my terms, and my terms are that you can go and compare it to everything else." That is how each you will person, see. Each person is their own barometer. We, I mean, everything. Well, to make it objective, you know, I twenty three says to bring in your witnesses as well. You know, to to make it an objective, honest assessment. Is, and again, the, the key issue is, is your issue doubt? If your issue is doubt, then that's what you need to do. You know, in the other class, I have a student who is very Christian, meaning they're going through the same material. Most of the students are Muslim, but there are a couple of Christians in the class. He's very, very Christian, was raised fundamentalist Christian, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, for him, I think he's not able to distinguish between doubt in Islam or the desire for Islam to be false. Those are two fundamentally different things. Doubt here, I'm speaking of someone who is seeking to resolve the doubt. Thank you. Anyone else? Hey, Olfat, you got any questions? You got any gin stories from, from Cairo? Um, like there was maybe one, we had uh, someone who used to come cook for us when I was very young. He used to cook for my grandparents and then my parents would have him come once a week to just to financially help him out. And it seems in his youth days, he used to dabble in this kind of stuff. 
So whenever he would start sharing stories, my mom would start freaking out and yell at him to stop sharing these stories in front of the kids. So I didn't get to hear a lot of them. <laughs> but um, my, my father shared that once there was some weird stuff happening in their house. Um, and so he had offered, he told my grandmother that he can undo whatever it was that was done. And my grandmother told him, no, I'll just read the Quran and Surah Al-Baqarah and it will undo on its own. And that's what eventually happened. Inshallah. Nice. Nuri, you got any Palestinian stories? Or Laith, you got any Palestinian stories of Palestinian jinns? There's a very uh, wealthy Palestinian sheikh in Chicago who, who whose whole career is to de-jinnify your family and your house and such. And for, for those of you who know Chicago neighborhoods, he lives in Oak Brook. And that's a very, very wealthy neighborhood based entirely on his entire career is on removing jinns. Every time an IDF soldier doesn't stop me at a checkpoint, I think they're a jinn. Maybe they think you're a jinn. All righty. Uh, oh, uh, another question that, uh, that was raised is, do you want to continue this time slot? Is there another time slot that works better? So if you remember way back in the day, pre-Ramadan, we were much later in the day. And um, we don't have to decide right now, but off the top of your head, would anyone prefer something earlier or later? I'm thinking, yeah, for some of some people later, it's probably better. Uh, okay, a couple laters. Later, a lot of people are saying later. All right, uh, let us... Um, let's continue at this time tomorrow, inshallah. See you later, mashallah, mashallah. You know, uh, 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 let's continue at this time tomorrow, and then tomorrow I'll propose a, like a later time slot, perhaps. You know, uh, you know, uh, what time is this time slot right now? Uh, 5 p.m. Uh, either we can do six o'clock or perhaps eight o'clock or something. Although eight o'clock is going to be Maghrib is going to be right in the middle of it for Chicago people. Uh, but okay, and tomorrow we'll be at this time, inshallah. Alrighty, if there are no other. Oh, yeah, so, so Ahmed Abzal's class, I'll try again to send out this email. Uh, and he's requesting by Thursday for everyone to fill out this one line form. Um, that'll be in this link that, that I'll send to everyone. Class starts on Saturday, 11 o'clock Chicago time. And he will send out the Zoom details, inshallah. Alrighty. Uh, professor, uh, is the exam for uh, class two live or? Still not yet. Still working on it. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. It's, it's, it's a gigantic exam. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Alrighty, <laughs> 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 <laughs